I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Jag star quarterback Trevor Lawrence was touch and go to even play in the game on Thursday night, and all he does is go out there and lead the team in rushing, not to mention lead them to a victory, despite a couple of kneel downs at the end in victory formation. The Jags end up winning another game. They go to 5-2. and two. The Saints fall to 3-4. and four. We're going to be talking about that game today with our friend Brad Spielberger, as well as uh, flag football. And, uh, of course, the boo-boo breakdown with Vic Trohat later in the game. How's it going, Brad, on this fine Friday morning? Going great. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the game specifically, but just wanted to say at the top, I mean, the Jaguars going back-to-back London games, then a no-bye no week, and then into a Thursday, and, and winning all four is is quite the stretch. Yeah, it's an impressive run for them, um, and some tight games as well. So, yeah, we'll get into that as well. But first, we've got to – there's just enough time, just enough time for you to secure your family's financial future, Brad. Starting with life insurance – Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Okay, Brad, so other than that uh, super high-level takeaway, what was your biggest uh, takeaway from the game last night? I think the big thing for me, honestly, is the the emergence of Devin Lloyd. And if he can continue to play like he did last night, you know, this already is one of the best run defenses in the NFL. Statistically, they were top 10 in success rate and EPA per play against the run coming into this game. The Saints averaged 3.6 yards per carry, a bunch of goal line stands, a bunch of negative rushes throughout the entire game. But, but Lloyd's ability to, you know, look like Foye Luke a little bit, played well in coverage, was good sideline to sideline, made some smart decisions. We know Tyson Campbell's coming back in the secondary. They have talent back there. You know, Andre Cisco, a good young player. Obviously, Darius Williams playing good ball. Like, I think that second level opposite of Foyer was, was a concern. Obviously, need a little bit more pass rush as well. Um, but Lloyd looked awesome last night. And if that defense can continue to play like that, I mean, it's a good team on both sides of the ball with a lot of young talent, more guys coming back. I think Chad Muma's hurt right now, too. So, I mean, yeah, they're, they're a good team. Yeah, and the Chad Muma being hurt thing is is possibly huge for Devin Lloyd as well. It kind of opens the door for him to to you know have that full established role, get back to where he was. Remember, he had such a weird rookie year because for like the first month of the season, he was grading on fire, looked incredible, and then it completely fell off a cliff to the point where he went from oh like a month in, we're like this is defensive rookie of the year, and then. Then it went, like, a month later, he's getting benched. <laughs> he's not even starting. He's splitting time with Chad Muma, and he's, he's fully benched, and then he sort of worked his way back and split the difference, but never got back to that level of play again. And then this season, you know, first couple of weeks weren't great, but after that, he's been getting steadily better and better and looks like that player that was, you know, playing like rookie of the year for the first few weeks of the season uh, last season. So Devin Lloyd was a player that we loved coming out. He's the prototypical modern linebacker, 6'3", 235. He can run. He can cover. If he's back to being that player and you put him next to Aluakun, that's, that's an awesome like spine of the team right there. Yeah, and both those guys can rush, too. I think Aluakun had four pressures last night on, on some blitzes from Mike Caldwell, and they, they were doing a lot of different things up front, trying to generate more pressure. 
Yeah, I, I mean they're they're a fun team, and, and you know, unfortunately, the one guy who didn't really show up against a third string right tackle uh, was Trayvon Walker. Five point six percent pass rush win rate. I think he had one pressure. Just just has not really taken that step this year. And Aiden Hutchinson, meanwhile, is you know second in the league in pressures. So they're, they're they're probably kicking themselves on that one. But it is obviously still very early in both of those guys' career. Yeah, we we found a couple of extra pressures for him uh, on review. He's up to four in the game, but they were all hurries. They were all sort of low-impact type of pressures, and he ends up with a pass rushing grade of 44.2 going up against Cameron Irving, who is a liability in pass protection. I mean, Cameron Irving shouldn't be starting games for an NFL team and wouldn't be if it wasn't for injuries. So for Walker not to be able to go out there and absolutely wreck that guy is a massive problem. He also had three missed tackles, which is, you know, pretty atrocious. Like, you only have to look at the other side of the line and see how bad that is because Josh Allen also had a massively favorable matchup, right? The, the Saints ended up being down both tackles. So Andres Pete, a guy who played left tackle in college but has basically been benched from his guard starting spot, ends up playing left tackle, gets wrecked the way you would expect a backup guard to get wrecked at left tackle, and Josh Allen has 10 pressures, is in the backfield all night, doesn't get a sack, but you know was a huge impact player during the game. And Walker just wasn't on the other side with an equally bad um, blocker or favorable matchup, depending on which way you want to look at it. Yeah, and obviously Derek Carr was checking it down to Alvin Kamara you know, at most opportunities, but you had a game script that did lead to him having to hold on to the ball pretty much the entire game, right? You're up two scores early. Derek Carr knows he has to at least try to throw down the field. Um, that, that, that is a perfect opportunity for Walker to tee off on a, you know, like you said, a guy that realistically probably should not be playing or starting in, in NFL games in 2023. It's just, you know, you know, it goes back to I keep mock trading them an edge rusher in every single article I put out. There's a reason why I'm doing that. They, they need more juice there, and they're just they're not getting it from last year's number one overall pick. They're not. And you look at his, um, you know, his grades generally, they haven't been catastrophic this year, but they haven't been good either. And, you know, he's got a 57.7 pass rushing grade, which is almost identical to what it was a year ago, which was 58.6. The same thing, his overall grade is basically the same. Every number is the same or slightly worse, right? He's not taken any kind of developmental step. Now, look, if you want to be on his side in this, if you want to make the case, we knew he was raw. We knew it was going to take some time. We're still only early in his second season, but you would want to see some kind of step forward at this point, even if he's not all the way there, right? You want to see signs that something is getting better. And at the moment, there are none of those signs. There's no sign that anything is improving. And we're just, we are a season and a half almost into his NFL career. And he looks like the same player he was when they drafted him. And conversely, Aiden Hutchinson has gone from being good right out of the gate to then looking amazing towards the back end of last season to now looking, I mean, he leads the league in pressures, right? Like the, the problem that Trayvon Walker is dealing with is not only has he not improved at all, but Aiden Hutchinson, who was already way better than he was, has improved several steps since then. Like, by contrast, it looks even worse. Yeah, you're always going to get compared to that guy. It was obviously a huge topic of conversation. And, look, the conversation always was, Hutchinson's probably a better football player right now, but Walker could become a special talent, the traits and all that. He also watches rushes last night. I mean... Like, I just didn't see any, like, like pass rush plan, no moves. I didn't really see him use his hands. Like, he still just kind of wants to bowl people because he knows he's a superior athlete. But, I mean, you can't just run straight at someone 50 times and, and expect something to, you know, to, to work. It's just he doesn't seem like he actually has much of an idea of what he's trying to accomplish on a down-to-down basis. Again, it's early, but I mean, at a certain point, it's not, too. I mean, we're 20, right. what, 25 games into his career, and we're not really seeing much uh, growth there. Yeah, I mean, number one, there's the chance that it may never happen. But number two, you can only take so long to develop before the pick itself was bad, right? Like, it, it, if, if it takes him four years to get good, was it a good pick at number one overall, particularly if the other option was amazing after, like, eight games, right? Like, because that's the decision, even if you end up being justified, right? Let's say he goes on a Rashawn Gary-type arc where it takes him a couple of years, and by, like, year three, he's amazing, I mean, okay, but the other option was amazing after eight games, so that's a year and a half of, like, cheap cheap deal for that guy where he was playing, like, an all-pro that the other one wasn't. Like, it, it's 
It's making it harder and harder to justify the pick the longer it takes for him, even if you end up ultimately being proved correct and he ends up becoming this amazing player. Um, and the point you made, like, part of the narrative with Aiden Hutchinson was a little bit like the like Joey Bosa in particular. It's like, can he get any better than this? Like, is he already tapped out? Is he already maximized his potential? Like, if that was your sort of argument, well, this guy's better now, but he's, he's, that's as good as he's going to get. Well, it wasn't. Like, he's already gotten significantly better, and the guy you drafted hasn't. So, man, I, it, it's looking bad. And he's not, like, it's not even like the, the, cov, the, the pass rush isn't there, but other elements are amazing. Like, he's not defending the run particularly well. He's not amazing at anything else. They're dropping him into coverage every now and again, which I honestly think is the thing he does best. But that's ridiculous, right? He's going to drop into coverage, like, 100 times in the year, and if that's his calling card, that's just a waste of a draft pick. So that's a rough thing for Jacksonville. But the good news is they don't need him being good because Josh Allen is fantastic. The rest of that defense is moving in the right direction. Um, Darius Williams is great playing outside. The linebacker duo we talked about of Devin Lloyd is back to being the player that he looked like is good. Um, they would love Trayvon Walker to take that step forward, but it's a good defense anyway. Interior, I think, is we need, we need to talk about it more. And, and Devon Hamilton didn't even play. I think he went back out with an injury for this game. He briefly came back, and I think he missed this game. I could have that wrong, but but yeah, I mean, you're finally seeing a, a you know the uh, Fada Costa that we saw in New York, the guy that earned the contract from the Jaguars. He was not good last year, and now he against the run, at least from what I saw on the broadcast last last night, was a problem. And, and he's been an issue for a couple offenses the last couple weeks. Um, Roy Robertson Harris, always a guy that kind of flies under the radar, but a good interior pass rusher. Like that unit right now is so hard to run on, um, and they're getting pressure enough pressure here and there. You know, they don't have some monster three tech that's getting upfield and really wreaking havoc, but they do enough, and they really just clog up the middle. Teams cannot run on them at all, and, and then they have to get in these these disadvantageous situations. But you know, a Darius Williams and a healthy Tyson Campbell has been an awesome duo on the outside as well. So yeah, I mean, this defense is rounding into shape. It's probably one of the youngest defenses in the NFL still. Um, and like you said, we we spent a lot of time in the negative, but there is a lot of positive here for sure. Yeah, and getting that win, like that was a game that they were in control of early, and then somehow let the Saints back into this and they tied it up right <clears throat> Jacksonville had to go and win the game again like for a second time and they did like they managed to pull that out of the bag Trevor Lawrence was impressive with that knee injury and the brace on it like he scrambled a few times generally it's not like he was you know Zay Flowers out there but he was taking what was there and he still got some good straight line speed even if he couldn't cut laterally the way he would want to Trevor Lawrence played well the offense generally played well and got dug themselves out of a hole that they could have thrown away. They really tried to give the Jaguars that game, even early when they were mounting a lead. The two fumbles early on, just begging the Saints to do something. They get a, you know, a field goal out of those two turnovers. You know, the interesting thing there, though, is there has been a trend. The Jaguars are top five in the NFL and EPA per play on scripted drives and then are outside the top 20 uh, on non-scripted drives. And that reared its ugly head once again last night. I think before the touchdown to Christian Kirk, so they go up 17-0 or whatever, 17-6. From that point until the Christian Kirk touchdown, they had like 50 yards of offense. Like right. it was it was tough sledding. He obviously had the pick six, which was huge. Um, and then the last drive was out, you know, a great drive and a great play there. But, you know, I, I mean, not Press Taylor's calling plays there, and they, they escaped with a win. They've obviously won four games in a row, but but that trend is troubling, and, and a good team that can actually score probably comes back and wins that game um, and, and hands the Jaguars a depressing loss there. So just something to monitor, con you know, continuing to monitor, because you also would imagine Doug Peterson plays a large role in the scripted series, um, and, and then when it gets after that, it, it's probably more Press Taylor kind of you know controlling things, and it really isn't working. Yeah, I was happy to see Christian Kirk kind of get redemption later in the game. I mean, he had the fumble uh, where he kind of caught a pass going to ground and then realized he wasn't touched yet. He could get up and try and make a play. And it was just that horrible sort of split second when you get up and you don't quite have the ball under full, you know, 100% control. It's not high and tight the way it normally is. And Paulson Adebo, I think, comes in, just knocks it straight out there and, you know, costs them a drive and gives the Saints life. And then Christian Kirk comes back later in the game with that big touchdown that, that was made a huge difference. So glad to see him get a little bit of a redemption arc during the game. But the point um, that we were going to get onto is 
Like, Derek Carr didn't have a good game at all, and yet should have thrown the game-winning touchdown right at the end. Like, last drive in the red zone, puts the ball in the hands of Foster Moreau in the back corner of the end zone, and he drops it. And then, ironically, the next play, he should have had, should have had an interception. Like, it was a bizarre sequence right in the shadow of the goal line where, like, not, they, two incompletions, and yet it should have been a touchdown to start with and then an interception to begin with and ends up being neither, and he just gets, you know, towards the end. Yeah, Carr's game is interesting. We obviously talked about all the offensive line injuries, and I think we've probably talked before, even on snaps where you don't see pressure, I'm sure the quarterback has a sped-up internal clock, yeah. but a lot of his worst throws all night, in my opinion, were when he did not need to get the ball out. Like, he had a, a decent pocket and, th- and rushed it. Um, you know, we obviously were, were laughing pre-show about him barking at Chris Olave as the ball sailed five yards out of bounds, but there were there were a handful of overthrows and, you know, just misses or, or just forcing it out too quickly when guys were creating separation, there's one player, Rashid Shahid, like was wide open, and he checked it down to Alvin Kamara, and you saw Shahid do one, like, like, dude, I literally had six. When he did start mounting the comeback, it was still literally just check downs to Kamara or speed outs to, to Chris Olave on the sideline. Like he didn't actually make any, like, in my opinion, meaningful throws. And nice sort of Taysom Hill on like a you know a, a corner route, but. And yes, the touchdown should have been caught. It was, it was a perfectly fine throw. But just that offense, it, it really is like the first couple series was run, run, nine route to Michael Thomas that has a 0% chance of getting caught. We saw it like three times in the first half. But I don't know if I can t- solely blame uh, Pete Carmichael. Like I just Derek Carr looks out of sorts, doesn't seem to have any sort of chemistry or rhythm right now in this offense. And uh, yeah, it, but at the, same, at the same time, it is funny how, like you said, we should have had a tie game. I won't say game winning because the odds Dennis Allen goes right. for two there are 0%. Right. But, um, but yeah, they, they should have tied the game up right there. It, yeah, so it reminds me a lot of Derek Carr with the Raiders a couple of years ago when we, like I took all no end of crap for this comment, but I was like, it feels like he doesn't really know how to play the game, but he sort of knows how it's supposed to look. And he, you know, like every now and then, he knows he's supposed to take a certain number of deep shots, right? So every now and again, he'll just take a deep shot, right? And so I, I can't remember, I used some ridiculous metaphor I was trying to make, like, but, it, but Raiders fans were big mad. But it feels like the same thing again, right? Where he doesn't quite, it doesn't seem like he knows how he's supposed to be running this offense. He knows generally what it's supposed to look like. Like, in order for this to work, I need a certain volume of these deep passes. So to hell with it, let's just lob one up to Michael Thomas. You're like, well, that's not, this is like when the James Franklin question, right? Where somebody was asking, like, do you want to just, why wouldn't you just throw the ball deep randomly, right? It doesn't matter. Just say, close your eyes, just throw it. It doesn't matter what the coverage is like, what the look is, what the play is, just just chuck it. And it, like, it broke his brain. Like, I don't even understand why you would ask this. This is the most ridiculous question I've ever heard. But that sort of feels like how Derek Carr is playing at the moment, where it's not connected to the scheme or what he's looking at. It's just, this is the play that I've decided to throw right now because I haven't thrown a deep shot for a while or I haven't targeted this side of the field for a bit or I've done three checkdowns in a row so I've got to go somewhere else it's it's not I don't understand what's happening with him but I, I but I do know I've seen it before with him it's spot on I I don't think that could be much more spot on and I mean look the touchdown eventual touchdown to Michael Thomas was a nice ball obviously you know even better catch and getting that knee down but but yeah, like there just seems to be no like rhyme or reason to why things happen on so many dropbacks. Like exactly, I can't put it better than how you just put it. It's just so out of sorts and clunky. And even when it is working, you're kind of just sitting there like, yeah, this probably isn't sustainable. Like I said, the the, the late touchdown drive um, to Michael Thomas. I think he just hit hit Chris Olave on a speed out four times, and then Alvin Kamara had 20 yards after the catch on a checkdown. Like that was the entire drive. Or the Jaguars would give them 15 yards on dump penalties. Like the Jaguars really tried to like beg them to win this game, <laughs> uh, and then they just refused. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to get into a different topic in just a moment. But first, this podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Uh, I don't know if you've been keeping track of the Prize Picks lineups that we've been giving you. Our guy Zach Tantillo. This week we have got Patrick Mahomes passing for more than 295.5 passing yards. We have got DK Metcalf uh, pass, or receiving more than 67.5 receiving yards, and we have Jared Goff passing for less than 243 
passing yards against the Baltimore Ravens. Those are the uh, PFF prize picks lineups for this Sunday. Um, so, you know, let's see if, if ZT can come home with this one as well. I think he hit, right, the, the Monday night or the, the ones last night, the Thursday night ones. I think he's, he's got a W in there. Prize picks is a skill-based, real-money, daily fantasy sports game. Uh, how does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they'll go for more or less than their prize picks projection, like we just did, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Prize picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. Watch your progress, update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. At Prize Picks, you're not competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Prize Picks entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They offer frequent discounts, bonuses, and other exciting offers. And you can even pick in-game projections after the game has started, which includes halves, quarters, periods, and more. Um, go to prizepicks.com forward slash NFL and use the code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, Brad, the news during the week uh, was that flag football has been added to the Olympics for uh, the Los Angeles Olympics, right? And when the hell is that, 2028? Something crazy? Um, And... There had been a lot of interest amongst NFL players, which apparently has been actively encouraged by the league, as opposed to saying, are you insane? We're not risking you lunatics playing the Olympics. That would, it's, that's crazy. Anyway, a lot of interest from NFL players. Uh, the NFL seems to be actively encouraging this. So we may end up with a dream team type of deal here where half the U.S. Olympic side is stuck full of uh, NFL players. Um, number one. I'm all for that. I think that's an amazing concept. Uh, but number two, it means we have to create a team. We have to figure out what that's going to look like. So I think we're going to create our teams here. Now, I have been working on the basis that we'll do it for the Olympic team, right? So not like who would you have as a flag football team right now because it's not going to be right now. It's going to be 2028. So it's going to be what is this team going to look like in 2028? Now, there was some disagreement within the uh, – within the chat as to what this team actually looks like. Like there was this, you know, debate as to what one of the positions was. So we, I believe, are going with a quarterback, a running back, two wide receivers, and another, which has been labeled either a center or a tight end, depending on where you look. Uh, and then on defense, what is our look? We're going with a, a defensive tackle, a linebacker, and three defensive backs, essentially. Sound good? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. Where's my team? Where's my team? All right. I I want Patrick Mahomes as my quarterback. Um, I think Patrick Mahomes is made to be a flag football quarterback, right? The dude, you can't ever catch him. The man never takes a sack. That's a pretty important part of it. And no matter who it is that's chasing him down, he's always one step ahead of them when he's running in the NFL. So I feel like that couldn't be better for a flag football team. Plus, the guy makes every throw from weird angles. Like he's he's a walking flag football quarterback anyway. I love it. Obviously, never going to talk down on Patrick Mahomes. And, and yes, the scrambling is great. But I do think, you know, when we're talking flag football, so guys aren't getting hit. Mm-hmm. I want a quarterback that can house it uh, at a moment's notice, any which way. Also, our most accurate quarterback throwing downfield so far this year. Of course, Lamar Jackson is the quarterback of my flag football team here. I mean, that's a that's a walking highlight reel right there. You just I, I don't know if you could top that one. That's like Mike Vick, like, you know, if you're looking historical, give me Lamar and, and my flag football team. Yeah, Lamar was the other guy that I was considering. I think I think it's a it's a debate of two. To be honest, those are the only two quarterbacks yeah. I was particularly interested in. Yeah, there's other guys that could do it, but those are the two that I would want. Um, particularly when you're factoring in age and what that will look like. Running back, I went with Bijan Robinson. I want an elusive guy, guy who's got um, you know the ability to move laterally, to make people miss, to make them look ridiculous, and is an amazing pass catcher. And it's running back, so you got to factor in four more years of wear and tear. So if you're picking anybody that's like older than a second-year player, you're already done. I thought about it the exact same way. I literally just said, who's young and who has a very high force missed tackle rate? And that was the full conversation there. And I went with my guy in Miami, Devon Achan, uh, you know, has the highest missed tackle, uh, force missed tackle rate in the NFL, I think. 
also a good receiver, um, as well as a good running back, shifty as they come, cannot bring this guy down. You know, was it four three one speed at the combine? But I think both of us there, like th- again, I think that was the only two options at our disposal. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some more options, but those are definitely the front runners. Achan is going to benefit, I think, from Miami. You know, limiting his workload, he's not going to have a million miles on the clock in four years as well. That'll help. I think you can make a case for. Uh, Kenneth Walker in Seattle. I think you could make a case for Jameer Gibbs, given he's you know just in the NFL as well. I think there's some other options, but those are definitely the front runners. All right, here's where I deviated from the age thing a bit. I believe that Tyreek Hill in four years' time is still going to be one of the most devastating athletes in the world, and I want him as a wide receiver on my flag football team. He is the fastest, quickest, uh, most explosive athlete in football and I'm banking that four years' time, he's still going to be well able to beat up on, like, Uruguay's DBs. Yeah, he also has mentioned after this current contract, he's going to hang him up. And I think the storyline there, the narrative there is, you're going to be out of football, I'm not taking any hits, but I'm still going to be running around, staying fresh to represent my country. Uh, So, yeah, I like that one. I went with a guy that can bring a different element to your offense. You can hand him the ball. You can throw it to him in short areas. The guy who leads the NFL in missed tackles forced by a country mile at wide receiver over the last three or four years. And that, of course, is Debo Samuel in San Fran. Yes, there's a physicality to his game that is also uh, a big part of the value. But, I mean, he makes guys miss in space 24-7, 365. Yeah, I thought about Debo. I did think that too much of his game is physicality-based for him to be a, a direct translation to the, the flag football circuit. Um, here's where <laughs> I – so – This is where I differ. I don't particularly like this player relative to some other guys in contact football, but how? explain to me how you're going to get a flag off Zay Flowers. It's not going to happen. The human joystick (laughs) is going to just, you know, left, right, up, down, like move. You're never getting him. So Zay Flowers might not be the best NFL player in the world, although everyone thinks he's better than I think he is. Uh, However, Zay Flowers is going to be one of the best flag football players on the planet Earth in four years' time, so I want him on my team. No, that's that's a great pick there. I agree. I think he is he, like we are. I did think of it as like who doesn't need physicality as a part of their game, and it's truly just shiftiness. And I think Zay is a perfect choice there. Keep it. I'll keep it quick. I had Tyreek as well. He was my wide receiver too. Well, we would discuss why we love Tyreek. It's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. So then I had my my tight end slash center, whatever you want to call this guy. Now you still need an athlete at that position because he's going to be part of the pass game. You still want somebody shifty. All that kind of stuff. So I went with Kyle Pitts, right? He's not going to get misused by the Atlanta offense. He's going to be a key part of our attack here. And the guy is still like a wide receiver athlete in a tight end's body. Good luck trying to cover Kyle Pitts one-on-one. Good luck to you. Yeah, they're, they're feeding him now. He has a bunch of receptions, receiving yards, at a touchdown uh, last week or two weeks ago. So he's, he's starting to look like Kyle Pitts again as well. Uh, I, again, we talked about the age, went with a rookie here uh, in our guy, Sam Laporta at Detroit. Uh, obviously can block a little if you do want him to stay in and block, but also, of course, can leak out. We know he can leak in, and catch bombs from Jared Goff. Why not do the same for my flag football team? I like it. I would also, I considered uh, I considered the other two essentially really good rookie tight ends, uh, or not really good, but Dalton Kincaid, who's not hit the ground running necessarily in Buffalo, and then Luke Musgrave, who I think is has looked really good for the the Packers and is like a freaky long athlete again like try cover that dude if you're just a regular human being playing flag football um all right defense there's one I think we both had that's like the most obvious no-brainer pick here Micah Parsons like he's your defensive lineman he's also a freak athlete linebacker can work in space there is no better defensive player for flag football than Micah Parsons that was an easy, obvious choice. You also, of course, you know, you can play him off ball. You can get him just t- tee off and, and rush the passer. I think both of the our first two picks, I think we share them both, are the most obvious choices here. Maybe the four years, a bit of a concern. But anyway, my, my pass rushers, Michael Parsons, all double up. Sorry, graphics team, I'm complicating matters. But we also both have Fred Warner, the best off-ball linebacker in football, the rangiest coverage player at his position, a, a freak athlete sideline to sideline. Doesn't get any better. Yeah, absolutely. Fred Warner, a no-brainer for me as well. Um, Then we get into the defensive backs. I uh, chose Brian Branch 
one of my favorite players in this entire draft. He's hit the ground running. He looks like a defensive rookie of the year type of candidate. And the guy, I think, can play anywhere in coverage on a football field. I mean, his instincts are great. He can line up in the slot and cover. He can line up out wide and cover. He can play safety and cover. Brian Branch is your, uh, your gadget Swiss Army knife in a flag football defense. I love him. Love the guy. I do think, you know, physicality, kind of like a Debo. His ability to come down in the run game, drop a shoulder. You know, he ran a 4-6-8. Uh, I think uh, him and Gordon McGinnis tied the 40-yard uh, the <laughs> dash time at the combine. So, Gordon McGinnis you know, ran like a 6-8. Anyway, not, not throwing shade. So, my first corner uh, is Pat Sertan uh, of the Denver Broncos. Obviously, a, a young stud. Again, we're sticking with that theme. I want a lockdown guy. I'm going to get into some more Brian Branch-esque players here in a second. But I want a guy that can just eliminate the opponent. Closing, you know, Croatia's number one receiver, going to be a shifty guy, going to be elusive, going to be a speedster. I don't know why I said Croatia of all countries, uh, but I think Pat Sertan can lock that guy down. I, you see, <laughs> this is where I'm, though. I, I worked on the basis that, sure, if you run a 4-6 as an NFL defensive back, that's a little bit of a concern. But is it a concern going up against, like, France, right, or or Ireland? Like, I, I could come out of retirement, go do a bit of training. I might make the Irish flag football team, right? I'm not – I was 4'6 at my fastest, let alone as a 40-something-year-old. That's not going to work. So I don't care that Brian Branch runs a 4'6. I think that's going to be fine for the Olympic level. I really do. question is, before you jump in, the question is, you know, look at the countries like in, in track and field. Like Jamaica could field the fastest team, I guess, in this whole event. Yeah. They're probably are they the biggest threat uh, to the U.S. It's a separate conversation, but I think they got to be up there. But then I think that any team that's going to do that and it's just going to go, all right, let's just stick the sprint team in the flag football team. Then I think Brian Branch just wins with technique, right? It's it's a okay. perfect. Okay. He's going to beat the fast people with technique, and he's going to beat okay. the people that aren't fast by being four six. So I think he's the perfect guy. All right, other two defensive backs. Um, I had Sauce Gardner because I think he's probably going to end up being the best cover corner over that period of time. And then I'll throw my last one in there as well. I had Trayvon Diggs in there. The man is a wide receiver playing defensive back. And, okay, it's a little bit boomer bust. But, again, I'm taking the, I'm taking the high upside. I'm, I'm going to assume that Trayvon Diggs will have a read on, you know, a Spanish quarterback so he can pick him off rather than being exposed when he, you know, coverage busts every now and again. Huge. Probably the best hands for any defensive back in the NFL. You need splash plays. You need turnovers. So I love it. Exactly. So, yeah, I'll do my last two here as well. Uh, my Brian Branch type player, De uh, Devin Witherspoon, again, can play him all over, can play him in the slot, can play him out wide. Um, you know, that, that that was a no-brainer for me. You want that gadget type guy. And then Javon Holland in Miami. I mean, you know, our second highest graded safety, consistently one of the best safeties in the NFL, crazy range, can come down in the box, can play in the deep third. I, I love that one. It's just my ball hawk field general uh, in Javon Holland. I like it. Um, what did you? What do you think of the idea of if I was putting together the rules for a flag football tournament, I would make they should play both ways, right? It should be five guys who have to play both ways. None of this like offense and defense crap. I think it's fair. I, I think I think it also it, it changes a kind of element of all right. Which receivers do you think can mirror, right. uh, you know, and backpedal and do different things? Like it's yeah, that, that that gets interesting. And the guys that played both ways, like you know your Richard Shermans and whatnot back in the day, like Prime Richard Sherman might be the number one overall pick if they had to play both ways. Uh, it doesn't get much better than that, right? Like how how desirable now does a sort of guy who has experience playing, you know, both either side of the ball. Like Travis Hunter ends up becoming the best player, the best Olympic player in, in the history because he's currently doing both of them at, the, at a high level for most of the time. Like he's the best player, even if he ends up, let's his career ends up going like a, in the second round or whatever, right? And becomes like a middling NFL player at whatever. Because he's done both at a high level, he's probably still the best flag, like two-way player you can put on the field. So I think that's an extra element that they're missing if they just specialize offense and defense. Yeah, yeah, he would be he would be a, a lockdown guy. Tariq Woolen would be great as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, those guys that have the position flex on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Hunter, you're right. I mean, he he should be. And, and we're talking 2028. That'll be right in his prime. He he might be the top guy. That's what I'm saying. I I forgot about him, but I should have thrown him in there. I, I suppose technically he's not an NFL player yet, so we can't legally by the rules we can't put him in. Uh, that's why we left him off the list. Um, but anyway, that's our uh, Olympic flag football teams. Let us know in the comments. Let us know in the email, nflpodcast at pff.com, which you can see. Let's see, which way do I have to point? Other way, that way. 
down in the corner right there. You can see the email to send us in what your flag football team looks like. Um, but that's going to do it for myself and Brad. We're about to go to our injury expert, Vic Troja, for the Boo Boo Breakdown. Uh, let's see what Vic has to say. All right, joining us on Friday, as ever, our injury expert, Vic Troja, for the Boo Boo Breakdown. Yes, and uh, plenty of stuff to talk about this week, most of which seem to be shoulder injuries. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody apparently has hurt their shoulder. It was hamstring last week, and this week is uh, shoulder week. Yeah, there's just a theme every week now, huh? Yeah. So let's start with <clears throat> with Anthony Richardson, because yep. I guess that's the, the biggest one, because they've shut him down. Um, he's gone for season-ending surgery, and we talked last week, I think, about you know the, the, the scary factor of it being a grade three and mm -hmm. the fact that that's, that's a pretty serious thing, but it didn't sound like he was going to need surgery for it. So is this a case of, like, Jim Irsay scarred from years of Andrew Luck and has just decided, I'm not screwing around with this, like, let, we've got our franchise guy, let's make sure he's fully healed, or... There's another reason they decided to go for surgery. Yeah, I think that that's definitely part of it. Um, when you have surgery for an AC joint, the response is great. Like there's very, very low likelihood that it's going to happen again because so much of it is based off of the mechanism of injury rather than like just having weakness or instability in a joint. What probably happened is they got multiple um, medical opinions and it just kept on teeter-tottering between surgery shut you down for the year 100 percent good to go next season or try to see if rehab works if that doesn't then we're going to be missing time next season if we have to opt to surgery so it looks like they kind of just weighed both options and said let's let's take the safe route and um, he's going to be good to go next year he's just going to have some rehab after a surgery and um, hopefully everything from there just starts getting back to normal so then the other big shoulder injury um is Deshaun Watson, mm -hmm. and who apparently has been medically cleared for a while, but is not on the football field. Is you know is not ready to go apparently. By according to the opinions of either him or the Cleveland coaching staff, or you know somebody that isn't the doctor, because they've cleared him a while ago. So what the hell is going on with Deshaun Watson, and how long is this going to drag out? Yeah, I mean with Deshaun, we have to read between the lines a little bit here. So. He initially was um, announced with a shoulder bruise, right? Basically a rotator cuff bruise. Four weeks later, he's not bruised anymore. Like, let's be honest. It's, right. it's gone. Um, but the muscle that they're now saying was injured is called his subscapularis, which is part of his rotator cuff. And that main muscle's action is to get your arm from back here in the loading phase and the follow-through phase. So that muscle is used a lot for that, which tells me that if the bruise is gone but that muscle is still indicated as the issue, there was a tendon injury. And then to add on top of that, um, clinically, I rarely see that muscle itself be injured. It's commonly associated with other injuries around it. So we're looking at like probable rotator cuff injury with some other muscles around it that are probably damaged as well. What limited him, I think, and why they're saying he's medically cleared versus like not playing is he's probably still sore and he probably still has some pain throwing. And he knows that right now the $264 million contract that he's sitting on, um, he probably wants to make sure he's back full and healthy versus going out there and then re-aggravating the injury. So this is, um, it's more of a, like a pain tolerance thing and it's, they, he just... It's like he's because he's suffering. Is this a case of like he's almost um, misidentifying what's going on? Like he thinks, uh oh, I'm, I've got pain when I'm throwing. This is a problem. Like we better not mess with this. Whereas the doctors are like, no, it's okay. This is just a pain management thing. Like you're actually good. Well, you're not going to cause more harm. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So you have the side of the perspective of like, the medical clearance to play. Then you have the coaching and ownership clearance to play, and then you have the player clearance right. to play. Well, medically speaking, he is good to go, meaning like they're saying, I don't think you're going to tear it. I don't think that you're going to do more damage to it. But it doesn't mean that like you're medically cleared and they're like, hey, even though you have a seven out of 10 pain, um, we're just gonna send you out there. They're just medically clearing that the injury is probably not going to get much worse from what he's doing. So I think that, that they're giving him clearance to go and practice. 
he's saying it's sore and there's probably just a mismatch of opinions and at the end of the day he's just not going to play he's not going to push through it is the pain likely to impact because one of the things they've sort of skirted around saying but like just because you're you know medically cleared and you're fit and healthy to do it doesn't mean that it's not actually impacting your ability to do it so is the pain actually likely to stop him being able to put the ball where he wants to put it when he's throwing like actually impact his ability to throw i would say at this point no this far out with i mean he's still throwing a little bit and then there was a right. video of him just in practice yesterday throwing the ball and he looked fine I think that there's some caution there where he just is like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to last an entire game or I don't want to get tackled. It's inevitable that he's going to fall, probably be on that shoulder somewhat. And I think it's just another week of caution for him. Uh, and then we talked about this before, how injuries are really funny because this time in the season, the dynamic of, of playing somebody with an injury changes based off where the team is at, right. what they need them for. The Browns aren't, aren't out of playoff contention by any means mm -hmm. and maybe they're also looking at hey like until you feel like you're 100 percent ready to go we'll keep on going because this is such a competitive conference and division and then we'll um get you out there when you're ready it's funny like any any win with with any backup for a team like that almost by it like doubles the the sort of breathing room it, it like yeah. buys you two weeks right because yeah. you win one you weren't supposed to win that one so now you got another week where even if you lose that one you're no worse off than you were when you started yeah. so like a, a shock win by pj actually buys them two weeks of deshaun watson figuring out if he wants to play or not right before he comes back right um yep. all right Let's talk about a couple of 49ers players yeah. because one of the big things coming out of that Browns game was half the 49ers offense got hurt in the game right. and left and at various points. Uh, I think Trent Williams is going to be fine. I mean, mm -hmm. based off the fact he came back into the game, I would imagine he's good. But Christian McCaffrey <clears throat> and Debo Samuel. Uh, Debo was another shoulder injury, right? Yep. And then McCaffrey was our friend the oblique injury yeah. from uh, the Puka Nakua fame earlier in the season. So... Uh, Either one of these guys are being talked about as day-to-day. -day. We've no idea if they're playing this week. What do you think? Yeah, so with Debo, it's more of, like, truly, I believe it is day-to-day. -day. I think just giving his history, he's a physical player. He might come out and um, have some limited practices. Uh, I know that on Thursday he wasn't. So yesterday he, he was not at practice. But if he just can get some limited reps and they're just kind of load managing, right, and they get him out there, He's just going to have to see if the pain is going to limit him. I don't see a problem with him playing as long as his body gives him the okay. Where Christian McCaffrey, I think Christian McCaffrey is going to be good to go. Um, it's an oblique, they call it an oblique and rib injury at mm. first, but just so we're clear, your obliques attached to your ribs. So this was probably more like the Puka Nakua injury earlier where the muscle was strained and he's just going to have to work through it. It's going to be sore as far as like tucking the ball, rotating and stuff like that. But I don't see him not being able to play unless it has gotten progressively worse and he's having issues as far as in practice and stuff like that. He's not going to, I mean, I'm not worried about him like damaging his rib or anything from that. And there was video on the sideline during the game of him like you know twisting trying to sort of stretch it out loosen it out whatever and mm -hmm. then eventually they, they didn't put him back in but it didn't look like you know he wasn't immediately crippled and shut down and couldn't do anything he was sort of trying to get himself back to to where he felt like he could go back on the field yeah both of these guys fall into that category of um there there's a chance to, for them to play it really is going to come down to just like how they feel that day how their rehab has gone through the week i mean they they're both veterans enough to where they don't need to be at every single practice yeah that's the other point i was going to bring up is that both these guys i think are in the category of if they can play even if they haven't practiced all week they'll put them out there yeah. like there are guys where if they're not playing if they're not practicing on thursday they're probably not playing because right. they're not big enough that they can afford to miss all that practice time whereas mccaffrey debo if they don't practice all week but they decide they're good to go on sunday you know they, they'll be good to go, or yeah. one day in this case. Yeah, and when you look at um, McCaffrey's uh, injury, just to clarify, uh, David Montgomery had an, an injury too with his ribs this week, but that was like a cartilage injury right. versus this. So a cartilage injury is a little bit more um, about pain tolerance and handling the ball because like you're tucking it in and you're putting pressure on that and a cartilage um, isn't as vascular. It doesn't have as much blood flow to it like than a muscle. So if 
if there's going to be a difference there, I would say like David Montgomery is probably a little bit less likely to play just because of the healing process of a cartilage versus the healing process of a muscle. So there is difference between what you can see in a rib and oblique injury. Um, Justin Fields mm -hmm. dislocated his thumb, I yeah. think, and doesn't sound like he's going to be playing on the basis that he can't grip the ball yet. So yeah. that's the big thing for him. Yeah, he's still limited, um, and as I'm always put at, it's doubtful right now. Right. Uh, I don't. He's not playing this week. Yeah. You dis. So whenever you dislocate something, there is guarantee that the ligaments are somewhat damaged. Not saying they're torn, but there is damage there. So he not only damaged the ligaments around his thumb, but he is now dealing with inflammation and his ability to grip. So he has instability in that thumb. His grip ability has gone down. He's going to have at least this week, maybe even next week. Now, from what I read, though, he's not going to have surgery, which is great, saves the season, but they're not going to put him out there until he can actually grip and rip that football, and, and who knows how long that's going to be if the inflammation stays in that thumb. Do we know, like, when you, in, when you dislocate a thumb, is it generally at the knuckle, like the top one, the sort of way it is with fingers? Like, normally... When you dislocate a finger, it's one of these knuckles, right? As opposed to it's down here, yep. where the actual thumb connects to the hand. Yep, it was it was <coughs> right here. And so he did it at the bottom. Yep. And the nice thing about his nice. dislocation versus um, other dislocations that you see is like he didn't dislocate forward; he dislocated backward, which means he's not really going against a lot of the muscles. He's more going okay. backward in the opposite direction, makes it a little bit of a better rehab. Um, you probably remember when Drew Brees dislocated some and tore his collateral leg. Yeah, he they were like, oh, my gosh, his career is done because he was going to have surgery. That was just because he tore that ligament that was in his in his hand along with that. But it's definitely something that you can rehab through and get through. It's just how fast your grip strength comes back. So yeah, that feels like it would suck. Yeah, not up. fun. I mean, that's what I had in college. I tore my collateral ligament in my thumb and I was a safety playing with a cast on my hand and couldn't catch a football. So it's kind of one of those things where you look at and um, it's, it's very bothersome. And as a quarterback, I can even imagine trying to grip that ball with some discomfort and pain. So he's got a, he's got at least this week to really, really focus on rehab. I mean, intense rehab every single day for him to try to get that thing better. Um, and then the other big name player that's injury relevant, although not recently injured, Kyler Murray mm -hmm. is now on his way back. They've, Put, they've sort of designated him for return. He's in that 21-day window or whatever it is. Um, what are your overall thoughts on this as a timetable and when we're actually likely to see him? Yeah, I think that they handled it really well. I think that um, it was almost as expected. Kyler tore his ACL. He was out, and they said, we're not going to rush him back to try to start the season, and which right. they did. did it late in, the, late in the year. Yep. So, you know, when you're looking at how long he's got until the next season, it's like, uh, that's, that's pretty tight. Right, and you want to say about nine months, but, I mean, granted, everything right now, you see players come back at six, and players right. come back at 12. For him, I think they did a great job. They slow played it. The Cardinals haven't been the worst team so like not like mm -hmm. what people were saying you know coming into the year so I think that right now the um, exposure to him back at practice seeing how he plays get him into the rhythm you know that's at least going to be for a week or two and then I think what they're going to do is they're also going to kind of see where the team is at and if they want to get him in which I think they will this season it might be a couple weeks out he's just got to look comfortable um, I think another big thing that you have to consider too is not only is Kyler coming back from injury but he's coming back into a new system right so he's coming back into a new offensive system so how much does he know the playbook how much does he know um, when he's getting out there to make the quick reads those type of things yeah this is the thing so um when they get kyler murray back out there at some point this season like this is a whole new staff that effectively wants to get an evaluation on kyler murray because they're probably headed for a very high draft pick mm -hmm. or a combination of two very high draft picks um in a draft that looks to be pretty quarterback stacked at the top right so this team presumably now wants an idea of whether they should be sticking with Kyler Murray or going in a different direction at the quarterback position. Uh, when he eventually gets out on the field, like how fair is this evaluation going to be to him with the understanding that he's just coming back from this ACL injury? I think that he's going to come back 100%. I think Kyler Murray, I don't think they're going to put him out there if he has a doubt that he's going to be able to have the mobility, the drive off his leg, everything that he needs to do to perform at the quarterback position. I think that um, it's a little bit unfair just given the fact that he hasn't been in a game. Right. But I don't, I mean, 
That's but it's not like we're not sending him out there going, this quite clearly is not 100% of Kyler Murray. Like, this is effectively physically Kyler Murray. It's just obviously he's dealing with some unideal circumstances in terms of hasn't had a full training camp, blah, blah, blah. But they're not, like, completely screwing the guy by throwing him out there and going, well, this is the guy we've got. Yeah, and given how how they actually have done a good job slow playing it, there was no rush to get him off the pop. Like there was no rush to um, try to force him in to win a couple games. So they've definitely um, done a good job slow playing him. Now you brought up a really good point, Sam. I think that this also needs to be something for people to consider, even with maybe Justin Fields coming back at the end of the year. Those these are two teams that are are potential candidates for a quarterback draft. Right. All right. Next year. And you also have high draft capital in what you're starting right now. But does that mean that these are the guys that you want to put out there? Not necessarily. These aren't guys that even were brought in under the co head coaching regiment that right. is there. So there is some something to say when you have a guy who's injured and you can expose them to enough games to really realize, hey, what do we have? So four or five games for Kyler and Justin Fields might give the coaches an idea of where they're going in the draft next year. Well, the Murray thing in particular, because he's signed the contract extension. Like Fields is an easier decision because he's not on big money. They don't, they're not tied to him in any way, shape or form. They can cut bait at any time and they're good. Kyler, it's like, we've already given him the contract. So now we need to actually figure out, cause it's, it's a big call if they then go, we want to go in a new direction, right. having signed him to that contract already, right. at least as a, as a franchise. Obviously the, the guys in there now didn't sign him to that, right. but like they need to figure out what Kyle Murray is within this team because otherwise they can't like, how can you possibly evaluate right do we have a, we have a shot of Caleb Williams or Kyle Murray well, well what is this like we don't know we haven't seen him play for this team yet yeah and you know that Kyler's it's it's fascinating because on both sides uh the coaches are itching to see how he performs but Kyler's sitting there like I got a lot to prove because clearly he fell off after his contract and now with the injury he's trying to prove that he's worth it so that right. when he comes back it's going to be very interesting to see how he plays uh anything else you want to touch on before we bounce uh no it's just kind of funny like you said it's, it's a shoulder week shoulder week. uh there were 16 injuries this week and and football and a lot of them were shoulders but hopefully they get back somebody uh tweeted us yesterday wanting to get uh you to debunk the medical advice the this the stretching advice that steve gave yesterday for shoulder injuries I can't remember what it was, but it was some ridiculous movement he was he wanted Deshaun Watson to be doing. Well, and whoever whoever message was was pretty certain that was wrong. Well, I'm sure it was as well because <laughs> it's Steve. You need to tell Steve also that a high ankle sprain doesn't necessarily have to be on the outside. I've told him that several <laughs> times already. He refuses to believe it, but I've I've made the point several times, and he's not buying it. So, no, that, Steve expert is telling you that it's it's wrong stop saying it <laughs> anyway that'll do it for us we will be back on monday myself and steve in the chair i uh, hope you've enjoyed listening to the pff nfl podcast this week and we'll talk to you soon thanks